Okay, good morning, everybody. I got to admit, you know, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes, right? And it takes a true man to admit when he was wrong, right? There is no Kids Quest today. It's upper room, so there is no Kids Remember, Kids Quest, first through fifth grade, there is, I believe there is nursery. So I, I'm a man, and, and I can admit when I have made mistakes. So there it is. Not sure how to take that exactly, but I'll take the applause. I like, I've never turned down applause. So good morning, everybody. It is now 2024. Anybody was last, uh, last yesterday. I was gonna say last night, but it really wasn't the night. Afternoon, was anybody worried about coming to church after watching the first half of the game? Everybody was a little sweaty. Like, I don't want to go to church on Sunday. I don't want to see other people. They pulled it off, and we continue on next week. So good to know. So we are going to continue uh, in our Names of God series this morning. But because it's an upper room, ooh, with God. Just go to light key and just hit the preaching lights. There you go. That was... Never. We're still working on things, but there we go. There's always a fix. So as we go through this, but in Upper Room, we're going to be looking at today a name of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at his name of Messiah or Christ. And as we go through the, the sermon today, we're going to be thinking about some Jewish expectations for Messiah and Christ. Uh, and, and then we're going to look at how Christ fulfilled the offices of prophet, priest, and king. But before we get there, you know it's an upper room service, so we always like to have a little bit of fun for the upper room service, and I like to think that I'm a pretty fun guy. Oh, that was the chance to applause again. But all right, that's fine. That's okay. You don't have to. So uh, because the kids are in the service, we keep the kids in the service for the upper room because it's our communion service, and we want the kids to understand what communion is. And we at Faith here say, look, we don't have to take a class to take communion. When your son, daughter believes in Jesus Christ, they are welcome to partake in communion. And we still have the elements here, but we do have the individual uh, things at your seats, if that makes it more comfortable for you, uh, however you want to take uh, communion when that time comes. But before we get there, because the kids are here, I always do something fun. So kids, come on up on stage and we'll have an excellent time together. Don't rush up all here at once. You know at the end you get candy, so I mean that at least gets some kids up here because they get candy. There we go, we got some coming up, we got some, there we go, yep, yep, here we go, I see some coming, I see them, I see them. Like I said, you get candy, you get candy. So you can't go wrong with getting candy, and parents, I don't limit the amount of candy I give to them on stage. So when they get back to their seats and you want to be the mean parent that takes away the candy, that's on you. Is that the bad way to put it? Maybe it's a good way to put it. Anyways, I'm just kidding. All right. Come on up. Gather around this round table. Come on up here. All right, kind of spread out a little bit. Any taller kids in the back there. So everybody make sure you can see the table because this is where all the action's going to take place. Come on here. Yeah, go around. 
There we go. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, let me have a deep discussion. You guys ready for a deep discussion? All right. What is the thing that separates us from God? Anybody know? Satan, Satan sure does. Well, bro, what, what do we do? Someone said sin. Oh, yeah. So sin separates us from God. And what is sin? Maybe I should ask your parents. Hmm? Lying? All right. I heard a uh-uh. Who said uh-uh? Yeah, somebody. I'm not, I, is that you? It's a little smirk. He got it. All right. How about, has anybody ever not listened to their mom or dad? Parents? Opinion? <laughs> yep. Oh, I heard one. Yeah. Okay, so one of you has disobeyed your parents. So, because of those lies, because of, how do I stole anything? Anybody steal? I was nervous. I was like, hopefully no one's picking their pockets. No? All right. That's good, at least. Anybody beat anybody up? Siblings? Yes. Oh, I see. Yes. There it is. That, see, that's one that always gets you. All right. So, all those sins... Should we get into heaven because of our sins? No. So how do we get to heaven? Jesus. And we're going to look, we're going to see a little object lesson that works for this. All right. So I'm going to bring up this little bowl. Now, rule number one is don't touch anything. And if you break rule number one, we just found out you sin. So no sinning. All right, so here we go. No touching. And I know, like Paul says in Romans, like, I know when you know what this says not to do, you exactly want to do it. But resist the temptation. All right. So this cup, what do you think this represents that we just talked about? What do you think this represents? I know you all talk, because I know you talk all the time. So let's go with, someone say sin. What does this represent? Sin, very good. You guys are awesome. All right. Whoop. Get a little closer. Get a little, there you go. All right. So that, remember, what's rule number one? Yeah, all right. So this candle... Who do you think this represents? We just had Christmas time. Who is called the light of the world? Jesus. Jesus. Everybody jumps for that answer. We're going to put Jesus in our lives. Okay? Now, the gospel message is, is that Jesus came to this world, lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And he died on the cross. It's not lean on the table either. I just saw a little wobble there. So rule number two is don't touch the table either. All right. There we go. All right. So where was I in the story? Oh, yes. Jesus lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross. See, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and because we've lied, 
because we don't listen to our parents, this is kind of weird, but don't have nightmares or anything, but we deserve to die. But the good news is that Jesus came, lived the life, he perfect life we couldn't live, dying the death we did, and took our sins upon him. And that's what we're going to see, because as we come over here, I'm going to light this candle. All right? So Jesus lives the perfect life on this earth. But he died, right, on the cross. And when I put this over the glass, we're going to see what happens. What's happening to the sin? What's it? Um, it's going into the glass. It's going into the glass. The candle is going out. So here, back up a little bit so that even the parents can see this. But our sins have gone from us and on to Christ. And that is what the gospel is all about. And we believe in Christ. We believe that he died for our sins and that he rose again from the grave. And that he takes our sins upon himself. Pretty cool. Pretty awesome message pretty cool experiment. I could explain it, but it's even over my head, but it's all about pressure and stuff. But there we go. So give it up for the kids. All right. And come on in and get, let's go. All right, you get two pieces of candy. That's it. Just two. Two pieces. And don't take up all my time now. Here we go. There we go. Nice. All right. Two pieces and back to your seats. Yep, yep, two pieces. Round of applause again for all the kids. There we go. Two pieces of candy and back to your seats. Nobody said trick or treat. I'm just kidding. You don't gotta say trick or treat. There you go. Let me go lower. There you go, you can see better. Two and back to your seats. Yep, you got two, there you go. Yep, find just the one you want, yep. Yeah, there you go, all right. Two pieces, uno, dos, there you go, there you go, all right. Now remember, due to liability issues, I will not be throwing candy out into the audience because last time we caused an injury. So, anyways, as we kind of make a little transition. Oh, can I have my phone, Christy? Yeah. Um, we were actually yesterday uh, out at a funeral in Frederick for one of the pastors. Before we came here to faith, we lived out in Frederick uh, and went to a church out there. And one of the pastors had passed away. He went to a funeral yesterday for him, and it was a, a great time, but it was a reminder of just the, the, the great connections that you can have with people. Uh, people who we hadn't seen in a long time, um, seeing them connecting with this church body that we had. And it was a good reminder of the, the comfort that we have uh, as believers. And, and this is kind of, this is like my message. This is like Sermon 1A, if you want to go along with that. And it was going through my mind because it also reminded me, um, if you know Tony and Amy Iafola, her mom, 
passed away as well this past week. And uh, Tony wrote something to me, not to me, but to the church for me to read, uh, just about that same kind of idea of the support and just the, the, the body of Christ that they felt around them uh, during such a difficult time. So he wanted me to read this, um, and I'll call it because he said he didn't want to read it because he said he would cry. And I said, well, I want to see that, but I guess he doesn't want to. So this is from Tony, uh, just expressing his gratitude to us as a church. It says, Amy and I wanted to send our gratitude and thanks to everyone that has prayed, sent well wishes, texted to check in on us, and of course offered any help to us over the past five weeks. Prayer is a powerful, and combine that with the well wishes and sympathy offered, that sure did help us through the tough time. Uh, The outpouring of support from the church, friends, and family was overwhelming and almost unbelievable. Amy's mom, Daisy, went home to be with the Lord and those that preceded her in death last Saturday as she was surrounded by family at the home. Home was an important place for mom, as was family. Her determination, fight, faith in God, and importance of home were highlighted in her eulogy. Uh, Although we have been absent lately due to being with mom and coming to the dogs, Faith Fellowship is a home for us, and we hope to be able to attend as much as we can during the coming weeks and months. Uh, We really want to thank Seth and Christy for their continued support and prayers, Frank and Lisa for the flowers we received Thursday, uh, Craig Armstrong, Todd and Bob for their support, uh, and last and certainly not least, Jim and Joanna. Uh, Their continuous support, their prayers, and seeing them show up through the doors of a church two hours and 45 minutes away to be there for Amy and I, not only was a wonderful sight to see, but also moved us to tears. Many of them, he says, why I'm not reading this letter. Uh, We were blown away after seeing them and just reinforced how much not only the good people are, but great friends and family of church. I always say time heals all wounds. Some wounds may take longer to heal, but when you have a community like FFC behind you and alongside you, those wounds will heal quicker. God is good, to quote Jim. God is for you and not against you. Thank you so much, Tony, Amy, and family. So a nice little uh, note that he wanted me uh, to send to you all. So, um, and, I, and like I said, I, I just saw that yesterday. I'm just thinking and reflecting on all these things. Just wanted to show off my great muscles to all of you by doing that. So I've been hitting the weights pretty good. Um, So, all right. I I, I ate some green beans yesterday, so. If If you're a guest here, you're probably like, why did he just say that? I usually don't eat a lot of veggies, so. Um, the fact that there was a, a luncheon after the funeral and there was green beans and I was trying to make a point that, look, I can eat these things. So uh, I did eat some green beans. I don't know if eating it out of spite is a good reason, but at least it's a reason to eat veggies. So, all right. So as I said, we are looking today at the names of Jesus. We're looking at the idea of him being Messiah and Christ. And it's probably one of those names that you hear a lot, right? Maybe you hear it most often in a negative sense, right? How many have heard people say Jesus Christ in a negative aspect? Probably a lot of us in in many different ways. 
How many of you thought as you were growing up that Christ was just the last name of Jesus? Yeah. People often think that through. But we're going to see what all that meant for him to be called Messiah in Christ. Before we do, let me open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you uh, and open up the scriptures to reflect on the the truths that you give us in your word. Lord, help these truths to be your truths and not my truths. That they would cut to our hearts and that we would understand just all that Christ is and who he was and who he is today as we even worship him here this morning. Lord, be with us now. Be with me as I bring forth this word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 1 and verse 41... We find Andrew talking to his brother, and he says, We have found the Messiah. And then it says, This is translated means Christ. The woman at the well remembers, she says, I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus Christ is the name most given to him throughout the scriptures. Over a hundred times, he's called either Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. So the questions arise, is what do these words mean? Well, Messiah in Hebrew, it literally means anointed or an anointed one. And it's pretty simple. When it's translated into Greek, it means Christ. So they're actually kind of referring to the same thing. And it often referred to in the Old Testament kind of an act of dedication, whereby an individual or even maybe a part of the temple was anointed with oil, set apart for a purpose. In the Old Testament, it's often equated with the kings, with with the Davidic line being the, the promised seed, the promised rulers of Israel, that they were anointed for their rule. It has often been pointed out that there were three offices in the Old Testament that saw this anointing with oil, and it was the prophets, the priests, and the kings. All this was going to be pointing, as we'll see, to something, or really someone greater who was to come. And it's those roles that I want to look at today as we see Jesus as the promised Old Testament prophet. We see Jesus as the promised Old Testament priest, we see Jesus as the promised Old Testament king, which is Messiah Christ, the anointed one. But I want to give us some background to understand this from the Jewish perspective. So I was doing some research on on some of the modern Jewish sites, and they still have a lot to say about Messiah. And, And this is what one of the sites said. It said the Hebrew word for Messiah is translated anointed, which refers to a ritual of anointing and consecrating someone or something with oil. It is used throughout the Jewish Bible in reference to a wide variety of individuals or objects, and they've list off kings, priests, and prophets. Interesting, huh? So they have all this. It says even the Jewish temple in various areas. This website says Judaism has always maintained a fundamental belief in a messianic figure. Since the concept of Messiah is one that was given by God to the Jews, 
Here you go. The Jewish tradition is best qualified to describe and recognize the expected Messiah. So the hopes of Messiah was given to the Jews, so only the Jews have the proper context to interpret Messiah. Now, why do you think they would say that? Because they don't want to say it's Jesus. So they go through and it continues. They say, we understand Messiah to be a human being with no association to deity or divinity. Who does that take out? Sunday school answer, come on, Jesus, there you go, all right. They say Messiah will bring about certain changes in the world and he must fulfill specific criteria. And here is the criteria. He must be Jewish, must be a member of the tribe of Judah. He must gather the Jewish people from exile and return them to Israel. He must rebuild the Jewish temple. He must bring about world peace. And he must influence the entire world to acknowledge and serve one God. And they like to highlight one passage from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, uh, 24 through 28. And it says this, And my servant David will be a king over them, and they will have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them, and they shall live on the land that I gave to Jacob my servant. And I will make them a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant, and set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So an individual must meet all these requirements to receive Messiah. They say Messiah was never meant to be an object of worship. His primary mission is to bring world peace. He is a beauty contestant, I guess, because every contestant wants what? World peace, world peace and all that they do. Here's one final quote that I like to share, and it says, If there arises a king from the house of David who meditates on the Torah, occupies himself with the commandments as his ancestor David did, observes the precepts prescribed in the written and oral Torah. Now, why would they add the oral law to that? Think New Testament. What did Jesus most have conflict with, with the Pharisees? The traditions. Remember, uh, I think it was Lance had the great message about the conflicts with the traditions that Jesus had. So Messiah must fulfill all these things. And if they even fail in one of these, he is not Messiah. They even said, if he is killed, he is not Messiah. All these things would eliminate Jesus from that. But what we see here is, even in their writings, they talk about Messiah from this idea of an anointed prophet, priest, and king. So as we think about that and reflect on that, I want us to think about then and have assurance in Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the, the one who fulfills each of those areas as the anointed Messiah in Christ. Just think about the words of, of how Matthew opens his gospel. Again, very specific. Remember, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and he says this. He says, the book 
in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. He is from the very beginning laying out this foundation for Jesus being the Messiah. So let's dive into these three areas. Let's first look at the area of prophet. A prophet was somebody who speaks for God. He sometimes spoke to the people of God or sometimes even spoke to others. And we see the first person chosen as a prophet is Abraham. But as the scriptures continue, we really see the foundation for this idea of a prophet with Moses. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 7, it says, The Lord answered Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you. Then Aaron your brother must declare it to Pharaoh, so that he will let the Israelites go from this land. So what he's saying is, Moses, I'm going to make you like God, not really God, like this, and this is how it's going to work. You're going to give Aaron the words, and then Aaron is going to speak them to Pharaoh. So in a way, Aaron will be your prophet, bringing forth your words before, before the Pharaoh. In the same way that the prophets come before us today, well, in the Old Testament, sharing the words from God. Then we get a great promise. A great promise in Deuteronomy of a better prophet who was to come. And in Deuteronomy 18, 18, it says, I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. As he talks to Moses, he's saying, look, there will be a greater prophet who comes. A greater prophet will come after you who will give my words to the people. So when a prophet speaks, he speaks the message of God. Various, you know, the prophets are the ones you all skip in your daily Bible reading plan. I think Jim made that joke last couple weeks ago, maybe. Those ones you can't understand, the ones when you get a sword drill, you're like, Did that buy, does that book even exist? All those, if you think of those, that's the prophets. They're, they're often giving out proclamations against nations, calling back the nation of Israel, saying, you've messed up. You messed up big time. Come back to God. That was what a prophet did. He spoke the message of God. He was the mouthpiece of God. Now let's think about the idea of this priest. The, the priest was somebody who would intercede between God and the people. It, it's mostly identified, remember, with the temple, right? The one who would bring forth sacrifices. God would lay aside the Levitical priesthood line, saying you Levites will be the ones who work in the temple, the ones who come before me for the people, who intercede for them. All these were the jobs of the priest, offering daily the sacrifices, over and over, performing sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins for the people. Can we already see how Christ is fulfilling. And then finally, as we look at this, we think about the office of king, and the king does what? He reigns over the people. He reigns over his land, giving them, uh, he has authority, authority to rule, authority to reign. In all these areas, we see come through the idea of an anointed Messiah 
and Christ. You see, this is what we see for Christ. As we'll see now, we see that Jesus is the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the Messiah, the promised Christ. In his first coming, Jesus fulfills all these offices. He fulfills the expectations and the jobs of every single one. And he continues to do those to this day. According to Thomas Oden, he says this. He says, the Son of God became incarnate to do the threefold work of the messianic prophet, of prophet, priest, and king. His work constituted in the fulfillment and the consummation of the prophetic office, the priestly office, the kingly office, to which servants of God in the New Old Testament were anointed. Jesus is the prophet who spoke about the future and called out the sin of the people. He gave a call to return to God. Jesus is the priest who prays for his people. He offers sacrifices. Well, not sacrifices, actually. He offers one great final sacrifice. He offers the sacrifice of himself. And then Jesus is the king who will rule over the kingdom of God. When he comes again, he comes to judge and to set up his kingdom. Think about when the angel appeared to Mary and announced the birth of Messiah that was to come in Luke chapter 1. He says, he will be great. He will be the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. This child, this son of God, this promised Messiah fulfilling the roles of prophet, priest, and king. When you read through the, the book of Hebrews, this is a theme that you see throughout it, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything in the Old Testament could ever offer to us. It says in the opening words of the chapter 1, it says, Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He said there was many times, many prophets who came before. But now God has spoken to us by the greatest prophet of all, his son, Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the prophetic role. It even goes on in chapter 3 and says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of much more glory than Moses, as much more as the glory of the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. Then it says, Now Moses was faithful in all of God's houses as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. In verse 6, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. He is the great high priest, as it goes on to say in Hebrews. In the chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we are, do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Since we have the ultimate prophet, we have the ultimate priest. It says he functions as priest because he prays for us. In, in Hebrews chapter 5, it says Jesus offers up prayer and supplications with loud cries and tears. Jesus is praying for us in heaven. He was praying for his disciples here on earth, and even for those who would believe, because of their message, he was praying for all of us while he was here. He was interceding on behalf of every single one of us. His promise is better than any promise a prophet could make. His rule is ruling better than any king could ever give. And his sacrifice was better than any sacrifice that any priest could offer because he offered himself. And that is what the book of Hebrews says. It says, by the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. See, the one fact for the priest here on earth was they had to offer sacrifices daily, every day for the people. But the writer of Hebrews tells us that now Christ has offered one final fulfilling sacrifice. That is where we find forgiveness of sins. And we know that his work is not yet complete because he is going to come back and reign on this earth. He is the one, the Messiah, the anointed one who comes to fulfill the functions of prophet, priest, and king. He is the one that we can bring our prayers and requests to. He is the one that we can put our hope and trust in, this Messiah who reigns. Every other one of those offices had some negative things about them. Yet Christ fulfills every one of those roles perfectly. See, there's one thing the Jews didn't realize they didn't realize that the suffering servant that was promised in the Old Testament. The idea that Messiah would suffer was something that was not even on their minds. You see, but we remember Peter's great confession, right? He's at, Jesus is asking the people, who, who are people saying that I am? And people are saying, Greg, he's a, you're, you're a prophet, you're Elijah, you're, you're all these various things. He says to Peter, he says, but Peter, who do you say I am? And what does he say? He uses these words, he says, you are the Christ. You are the anointed. But if you continue that story, Peter gets rebuked right after that. And remember why? Because Jesus talks about Christ, Messiah, dying. And he says, no, what, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. So that's, that, that's not going to happen. And he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, understand the scriptures. Yes, Messiah Christ. Remember, even with the woman at the well, when she says, we know that Messiah is coming, what does Jesus say to her? He says, I who speak to you, I'm him. I am Messiah. I am Christ. Peter makes this great confession, you are the Christ, but then later on he forgets now, and doesn't even realize that the Messiah needed to die. And that's where we come back to that object lesson, right? We're, we're stuck in that dirty water. 
Christ came to this earth to live and to take our sins upon him. And as we begin to reflect on the table that is here, we reflect on his body which was broken for our sins. We reflect on his blood which was shed on the cross. All in fulfillment of the scriptures. In fulfillment of who Messiah would be. And as we look to this, we think about the assurance that this gives to us. That the hope that this gives to us. That as we see and read the scriptures, we see this anointed priest, this anointed prophet, this anointed king who is coming to fulfill the law, to take on the sins of the world, to die on the cross, and then after three days, rise again and reign. It's a wonderful story, and it's a wonderful thing that comes into our lives when we understand and we believe in these things. If you haven't believed in this, if you haven't confessed your sins, today is the day. Today can be your day of salvation. To repent of your sins, to turn away from your life of sin and run to Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life and begin to make you more and more like Christ.